Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, September 29th, 2022. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine, inviting you to go to commentary.org slash roast for details regarding the 2022 Commentary Roast of Barry Weiss on Sunday, November 13th here in New York City. It is our major fundraising event of the year. Commentary is a nonprofit organization. We rely on our donors to provide you with this podcast, to provide you with the magazine, to provide you with our website. And this is one of the key ways that we raise the money that makes that possible. And it's a very unusual, interesting, unexpected evening. Um, It's uh, been a great success since we launched it in 2010. This is, uh, again, I got to do the count because we missed a year because of the pandemic, but it's either the 12th or the 13th or the 11th. We've roasted Dick Cheney. We've roasted Joe Lieberman. So that's the 2004, um, two, excuse me, the 2000 vice presidential ticket right there. It's different years. Norman Podhoritz, the late Midge Dector, the late Charles Krauthammer, Ben Shapiro, Mayor Soloveitchik, Dan Senor, Roger Hertog. The list just is remarkable. And now we have Barry Weiss coming uh, to uh, Jonah Goldberg to uh to represent uh the worlds of free speech and courage and um the willingness to uh confront wokeism in all of its guises uh we're very impressed with barry we love barry and she needs to be taken down a couple of pegs and that's what the roasting is like great event very expensive go to commentary.org roast join us you will not be sorry with me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate Editor and author of Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Christine Rosen is out today. Joining us, Washington commentary columnist, fellow AI scholar with Christine and author of The Right, The Hundred-Year War for American Conservatism, Matthew Continetti. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. So, Matt, uh, we have a hurricane uh, downgraded to a tropical storm. The footage is um, is is astonishing and horrifying as it as it as it always is. Um, and of course, being nakedly raw, you know, cynical, horrible people with no conscience, our mind immediately goes to how do you think it's going for Ron DeSantis? But maybe before we talk about how you think it's going for Ron DeSantis we should um, express our concern for the people of the Florida Gulf Coast uh, in and around Fort Myers and, of course, the horrors of seeing Sanibel Island completely overwhelmed by water and all of that. Absolutely. And um, Sarasota, Florida, also on the Gulf Coast, visited there recently, um, uh, thinking about them and um, a pretty terrible hurricane. You never want the hurricane to gain strength right before it hits land, but that's exactly what uh, Ian seems to have done. Uh, And there's no question either uh, that uh, hurricanes matter in politics, especially these types of hurricanes uh, that hit uh, the Gulf Coast uh, or the East Coast um, within the uh, frame of a general election. We can think of Hurricane Andrew uh, 30 years ago. We can think more recently of Hurricane Sandy, of course, in 2012, and the kind of knock-on effects of how politicians respond, uh, both in um, crisis management and in relations uh, between state and federal officials, I think does influence uh, uh, voters' perceptions and does um, 
affect elections perhaps on the margin. I think Sandy, to take an example, happened very close to the 2012 uh, election. Uh, and we all know uh, the, what, the backlash that uh, Governor Christie received from the right uh, for embracing President Obama uh, when he came to view the devastation. Um, and I'm sure, as Noah pointed out the other day online, New Jersey residents felt differently about that than, than many Republicans around the country did. But uh, it was taken as a as a betrayal on the part of Christie and I think um, kind of hurt his uh, reputation um, in Republican and conservative circles, which was then hurt even further the following year when we had the beginning of the revelations about the George Washington Bridge. So far, um, I think that DeSantis has performed very well. Um, he he kind of shifted gears very smoothly um, from uh, being a thorn in Biden's side by sending the asylum seekers to Martha's Vineyard uh, and kind of upending the national conversation a couple of weeks ago to um, crisis management mode uh, in preparation for the storm. And I think that served him well because uh, his previous um, engagement with crisis management of course, occurred during the pandemic. And at the outset of the pandemic, he was roundly condemned for what people uh, accused him of uh, being lackadaisical about the pandemic. Now, in retrospect, and even a few months in, it was clear that DeSantis was right about the pandemic. He made the right decisions about Florida. It benefited Florida. Florida became a haven for Americans who were tired of the COVIDians. Um, and now we see with the hurricane in the preparation, at least, uh, I think he's done a, a very good job. One question mark. Now, the you know, the line on DeSantis is uh, extremely talented politically, extremely intelligent. Can he emote? Can he relate? And I think, unfortunately, some of the um, consequences of Ian, the devastation, the loss of, of, of homes, of, of lives, uh, is going to present him um, with many opportunities uh, to show, can he uh, project sympathy? Can he can he project humanity and um, and compassion uh, for for the hurricane's victims? If he can do that, uh, then he's he's um, passed another hurdle uh, on his way uh, to um, uh, to the presidency, in my view. Well, I mean, you know, the interesting quality here is that uh, people have a misapprehension of DeSantis from what I can gather, which is that uh, the the culture warrior DeSantis is the real DeSantis. I don't think that's the real DeSantis. The real DeSantis is a very wonky guy who spent several months reading up on epidemiological literature to figure out how he should handle the pandemic. And all sorts of people have said that when he talked to them about what was going on with the pandemic, doctors, various other people, his level of granular knowledge that he had earned simply by studying papers and histories and things like that was really kind of astonishing. And indeed, in his first year in office in 2019, um, he was much more of a managerial than a culture warrior governor. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on <clears throat> with the Everglades and with pollutants and other things that he managed and handled in a in a in a pretty nonpartisan, non-ideological way that suggests that that is that is who that is who he is at root. I think he's actually proven an unexpectedly talented 
cultural culture warrior politician in the sense that he pushes the buttons he wants to push and rallies the kind of support that he wants to rally. But this may be a uniquely, this may be a moment that uniquely suits his actual, the thing that he actually likes to get his hands dirty with. That's not to say that your empathy point and that, you know, a certain type of <clears throat> emotional distance that he seems to have from his job won't, won't, won't be, won't be telling. This it, is it, the it true might. Christie parallel <clears throat> because it's Chris Christie wasn't that person either. He cultivated that um, really abrasive sort of uh, public persona after he was a prosecutor before he was very prosecutorial. Um, but when he, you know, after the storm, which he got incredibly big, you know, good marks for among the public, even though they didn't like his economic policies, weren't especially fond of the governor as his general job approval, his uh, re-election numbers in 2013 closely reflected his approval on the storm. Uh, couldn't anyone by 30 points. And his behavior during after the storm was re regular Chris Christie. He was, uh, you know, open and warm and empathetic and on the ground and hugging everybody, including the president. Um, and that contrasted really strongly with this persona that he had cultivated, suggesting that it wasn't really his persona at all. And sort of shed a light on quite a lot of the uh, esoteric and frivolous uh, crusades that he had won on more cultural fronts, uh, <clears throat> really, you know, demonstrating, you know, what the real what the real issue was. So he created this this opening to say, well, this isn't this isn't the real guy. Uh, and I don't know if he ever recovered from that. It was really the Bridgegate thing that made him vulnerable and put him on the defensive. But what angered the right was not his response to the storm. And it wasn't even the hug until it became an issue after the fact. And what made it an issue? Taking FEMA aid, uh, uh, the slow recovery after Sandy, that was the stuff that put him on the defensive. And then Sandy became a liability for him only after the fact, long well, after the fact. But it was long after the fact because he got 60% of the vote in twenty. But it was the compassion after. that was the vulnerability. If he had yeah. been his irascible personality the whole time, maybe he wouldn't have been as vulnerable. Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, the other example, of course, uh, which I left out in my monologue, was, <laughs> was Hurricane Katrina, okay, which uh, hit a, uh, a little bit a little bit earlier in the cycle, um, around uh, the beginning of September 2005. Um, and here, of course, you had a president uh, who had was identified with compassion, the compassionate conservative, George W. Bush, who was also uh, just coming out of re-election. Um, he had kind of begun to erode in the polls because of his uh, social security proposal, because of the war in Iraq was kind of deteriorating slowly, but he was still considered a uh, commanding presence who also, um, you know, cared about children, didn't want to leave any of them behind, uh, was uh, compassionate in terms of his social programs. And one photo, one image of him viewing the devastation, I believe, uh, not even Louisiana, but I believe he was viewing Mississippi in the photo uh, from Air Force One completely changed the narrative around his presidency. And all of a sudden that became the symbol of George W. Bush's aloofness and out of touch uh, 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 kind of um, sheltered uh, condition. Uh, and his presidency never recovered. I mean, it was just, yeah. it, it went down from there. So okay, th those are two one misstep. One misstep can can make a big difference in crisis situations like this. 
Yeah. Those are hey. two different universes of voters, though. This, we're talking about the general electorate who wants an engaged president who's compassionate and concerned and engaged. And yeah. then there's a Republican electorate who doesn't really appreciate right. that. Well, DeSantis like also compassion. has a general electorate in uh, six weeks. He, yeah. He's up for re-election. Yeah. So he right. has to he yeah. has to appeal to all Floridians. And he's done By a way, very I good job so far of that. And this presents another challenge, which I, I happen to think he will meet. I don't know that I'd, I'd categorize Bush is looking uh, at that Katrina from Air Force One as a misstep. I think it was a totally fabricated uh, 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 slight against him. I don't I don't be, better he be up there than, you know, getting down there for a photo op to, to muck up to muck up whatever emergency operations are going on. It's not as if he didn't get down there anyway. It's just like point. the school buses. Right. That yeah. was his yeah. But I also just something else occurred to me. By Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. <laughs> right. And, you know, it looks yeah. doubly worse from the ground. I mean, it, 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 whether it was justified or not, uh, it became the the uh, the symbol for the media. Right. Uh, of of yeah. Bush's. Um, but that's the important. negligence. That's the important but, point is we can oh, I was just going to say we can argue over the substance of any of the attacks on on Bush or, you know, or any governor in relation to a natural disaster, or any politician in relation to a natural disaster. It is the, it's just that it's a it's a very raw moment and the ability to manipulate it probably both for positive and negative reasons is is very high, whereas like the public is mostly very phlegmatic about how presidents and politicians respond to things like it's it's these crises where people are directly affected or they're trapped or you know their homes are being destroyed or something like that and people can then empathize with the people on the ground not just it not just about them but about the people who see it and say you know there but for the grace of god go i that that poses this huge danger um no they could take a i mean look there's no question that uh, DeSantis's enemies are going to take a a speck of a moment, whatever they can seize, and they will try to turn it into you know his having summoned the hurricane itself, right. um, and it, it could be a- after the fact. Yeah. But uh, something occurred to me, which is that uh, it was last year with the Surfside building collapse in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. And I have a vague memory of DeSantis actually emoting of him of him sort of talking about grief uh and the impact because there's a lot of deaths um and being uh quite human uh on the on that point right well you know um the 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 final thing i want to say about the the christie analogy is that one of the things that happened with christie is that he appeared servile to Obama that that's the point is that the hug it wasn't just the hug the the image of the hug because Christie is shorter than Obama and obviously rounder than Obama and the hug had a kind of you know uh desperate high school you know it was like he was the he was like the loser in high school who was getting to stand next to the you know who who was getting comforted by the you know, by the by the pre, you know by the president of the football team, by the quarterback of the football team, and it was not a good look for this. You know, uh, you know, sort of take no prisoners. You know what what kind of what Trump ended up being, which is what Christie was playing at. You know, the guy who canceled the tunnel and you know showed yelled yelled at reporters and yelled at teachers 
at um at at school board meetings and things like that who were trying to tell him uh not to do what he was doing and stuff like that it was very proto trump and then he's face to face with the guy whom every republican wants to defeat in a month and he sort of touches him with his love you know he is the he he um he does something that is betraying the republican cause of that moment which was getting obama out of the presidency making obama look good and that's i think why he never recovered well even if people weren't thinking because of i mean after bridgegate there was no way christie was gonna be a major american politician i don't care what anybody says you can't recover from that but he but it was that weird turn towards servility that was the betrayal as as like was the betrayal of everything that he was he had spent three years as as or two years as governor building up but we should we should move on from christie because um uh and and obama and talk about um joe biden and uh the astonishing events of yesterday which um uh where he was at this uh event and uh called upon uh representative jackie walorski asked where she was muttered that she was supposed to be there and of course, Jackie Walorski was killed in a tragic car crash uh, in Indiana in August, I believe, uh, with three staffers in the car with her. I think they all, four of them died. And, um, and you know, he issued statement, all this. And um, uh, he, the, the, the act of the, uh, where's Jackie? You know, uh, where is she? When you, it, someone had literally... <laughs> died a couple of months earlier we can all say look presidents are distracted they know a lot of things blah 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 da, 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 da. you're supposed to know you're supposed to remember when somebody died recently that you knew and he knew jackie walorski and you're supposed to remember that somebody died you're not you know you, a, you two years later you maybe can remember that somebody didn't die a normal person even a president with a lot on his mind is supposed to be able to remember that Jackie Walorski had died, particularly because she died tragically in a car crash. Uh, and this, I think, is a very big, a bigger moment than I than I than I would have thought initially. Because of course we've had the he walks around trying to shake hands with nobody or he does whatever. Uh, this bad moment and we have two uh, follow-ons one of which was the horrible handling of it by Corinne Jean-Pierre the press secretary yesterday and the fact that they canceled the press briefing <laughs> today which they did because of the handling of the press briefing yesterday and they do they're they're hoping they can choke the oxygen off from this story and kill it because even the New York Times had to do a standalone story by Michael Shear last night about this specific incident. Well, nobody had a gun happened. to their heads. Why was this the tipping point? I have no idea. The press all of a sudden, why was why did KGP turn in such a terrible performance yesterday? Because all of a sudden, the White House press corps turned into a bunch of pit bulls. They wouldn't let it go. They were actually asking questions and made it sound like each and every one of them was Peter Ducey. Where did that there. come? Where did it come? Because they were there. Because they were there. There was a collective action problem on the part of the press. They needed some sort of permission structure to all jump on what we've all known to be one of the primary features of this presidency, the president's quasi derangement. Because this was worse. This this I, this is this is this was very bad. You know, 
um, you can't really contextualize your way out of this. Um, it's it's not it's not as if he's well, yeah, you know, you, you, he's getting strange uh, mixed stage directions. So he turned one way when he's supposed to turn another way. This is this is it is as John says. It's it's very relatable. You know, you know when someone you know what it's like to have someone you know die recently, and you know how extraordinarily unlikely it is to you for you to forget about it. And in fact, to sort of burst forward with like with enthusiasm about sort of finding that person again. Um, I think it was it's just a very robust demonstration that something's wrong. I mean, you know, every poll we we have shows that majorities of Democrats want their party to nominate someone else in 2024. And uh, this uh, misstep by Biden just becomes another data point, I think, in, uh, you know, the secret presentation that Vice President Harris's advisors are preparing for her to give to donors uh, after the midterms about why Biden needs to uh, to step down. Um, it doesn't help his case for for reelection for sure. I, I I don't even know if it's a data point. That's my my point is that granted it is you know, the end of September 2022, not you know March or April of 2024, right? But um, where's Jackie? Jackie, why are you you know where is she supposed to be here? And then you know a title on the screen says you know she died five weeks earlier and he didn't remember you know like that um I, you know it's like it is the easiest and most potent negative ad that will ever could ever be made can be made against him with this one incident and the timing doesn't matter and the other thing is the timing doesn't matter because if indeed this is evidence a cognitive decline cognitive declines don't reverse themselves unless they are the result of a head injury or something like that. I mean, they, they, this is a progressive condition. If it is a condition, it is not going to halt and there are going to be more of them. And it's like one of those things where if there are more of them with this as the base, as opposed to the more arguable, well, you know, you took it out of context. There was no taking this out of context. He forgot that she was dead the only way that they can make the argument that he didn't, you know, he got this wrong uh, is because is by saying, well, he didn't actually know her and he didn't, you know, and he had a lot other things on his plate and all of that. But clearly, since this was something in his it, he did himself. I mean, I assume it wasn't in the remarks, you know, and the things that he was reading that said, please acknowledge, you know, Jackie Walorski, because whoever wrote it knew, knew that she was dead. I don't know. It's a very, very significant moment, I think. Well, especially, too, because, uh, you know, it occurs in the midst of this high stakes um, uh, moment uh, with uh, Vladimir Putin, where Putin is making these threats. Uh, apparently, he's going to announce the annexation of the uh, the Donbass uh, in Ukraine uh, tomorrow. Um, he's rattling the nuclear uh, sword. Uh, and we have a president who uh, doesn't remember that he issued a statement um, uh, lamenting the death of a congresswoman uh, about a month ago. Um, and that, that I think that is cause for concern. Of course, in the last uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, um, JFK was, uh, you know, drug addled 
and, and had tons of uh, medical maladies as well. So, um, but he was 43 luckily we survived old. that. Yeah, but he was forty three years old. He was forty. He was half, and it was also yeah. hidden. I mean, right. look, you know, well, it, yeah, it, exactly. It, the hiddenness is very important. Like, and, it's, and and you know, Matt's point is 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 very important because when you think of it in in terms of foreign policy and in international terms, when Putin w- shakes his leg excessively at a meeting, we all go up oh, something wrong. Look at there's a neurological problem. There's something you don't think that that our enemies are 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 well aware of what happened yesterday saying my god there's 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 who's steering the ship well and that is a very interesting question about who's steering the ship because we don't you know we know we know of one foreign policy decision that biden made that he owns that he made which was the pullout from afghanistan we actually don't know First of all, there isn't much in the way of American foreign policy except holding NATO together. These decisions to send the HIMARS or whatever to Ukraine. But, um, you know, I suppose one can argue uh, Biden gets collective uh, credit for the behavior of his administration in relation to Ukraine, if you want to give him credit. But we don't know who's doing what there. We don't know who's finally approving this, that, or the other thing. We only know this one thing. And now we're moving into a period in which there's a lot of improvisation going on, not just on the Russian part, on a, you know, and the Russians desperately trying to figure out a way out of the out of the bind that they've gotten themselves in. But of course, also in Iran, and you therefore need a fleet American. You need the ability for there to be a fleet American response to this kind of improvisation these kind of wild swings at you know annexation or whatever conscription uh you know making deals with north korea and iran for 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 drones all of that and 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 <clears throat> does anybody actually want biden to be materially involved i mean that's the weird part here he's the president he the buck stops with him do you really want him involved? I don't even mean policy wise. I mean, do you want this guy, you know, who to whom you can't really say no because he's the president in the leadership of the decision making process here because he may be cognitively impaired? Uh, you know, uh, this is 25th Amendment stuff. No one's really even talking about that. But, you know, three or four more of these. And I don't know how you stop talking about it and before we get to more of this about russia uh let's talk about the trees that our our friend noah has in his yard those beautiful meyer lemon trees that he got from fastgrowingtrees.com which curates thousands of plants so you can find the perfect fit for your specific climate location and needs you don't have to drive around to nurseries and big gardening centers fast growing trees makes it easy to order online your plant shipped to your door in one to two days, growing and care advice available from fastgrowingtrees.com with its in-house experts available 24-7. Noah, those trees, they are glowing, glistening there in your yard. They are in pots. If They're I were pots. to plant Excuse Meyer me. lemons in Excuse the northern me. mid-Atlantic, fast growing trees Sorry. does not recommend you plant citrus in New Jersey. They're in pots. They're going in uh, in the house in the wintertime, but both of them are blooming they're not supposed to bloom in the first year and both of them did i've got like 30 meyer lemons cooking in those things they really did grow quite fast 
Okay, well, so now you know why I am not the personal testimonial deliverer for fastgrowingtrees.com because what I know about trees and pots and lemons and winter and outside uh, being a city dweller uh, can be written on the head of a pin. So even if you've never had a green thumb, they'll make you feel like you do just over 1 million happy fast-growing trees customers across the country, plus with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, you can trust everything will be healthy for years to come. So go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary, and you'll get 15% off your entire order now through October 15th. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary, fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. And while Noah is admiring his Meyer lemon trees, he comes down, he looks at them, and then he goes up to bed and he sleeps on those Bolin branch best 100 organic cotton threads on earth sheets. Thread count is a myth. It doesn't matter how many threads your sheets have if they're not the best threads possible. And these sheets aren't just buttery, breathable, and impossibly soft. They get softer with every wash. Look, highest quality threads on earth, buttery to the touch, super breathable. You'll immediately feel the difference in their, of, of their sheets, which come in nine neutral colors in all sizes from Twin up to California King. Noah, yours are pewter, if I remember correctly. That's right. They're pewter. They kind of match my walls. <clears throat> They're very attractive sheets. When I'm done planting trees, splitting wood, this is I'm this is I'm very bucolic over here. Um, but yes, now where do I gotta go? I gotta find someplace to lie down and relax and relax and rest. And my bowling branch sheets are right there, calling my name all day long. They are very soft, they are very buttery, and I want more of them. And they have no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They fit the deepest of mattresses, are labeled with top and bottom tags, so making your bed is easier than ever. And best of all, Bowling Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. So get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code COMMENTARY at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code COMMENTARY. So Russia, Russia, Putin. Uh, annexation, pipeline, Matt. Well, before we get to all that very important okay. geopolitical stuff, may I just make one other point about the previous topic, which is uh, we, we all, it always amazes me just how bad at her job Karine Jean-Pierre is. And because this, you know, her inability to answer the very simple question about what was going on or whether it just admit that it was a mistake uh, about Biden and uh, Walorski followed on another press conference this week where she could not give Ducey a Fox a yes or no answer on whether um, the cities are, have, a, have a crime problem, whether American cities are safe or not. And it continually, whenever uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre is forced to get off of those notes, which she reads uh, in response to most questions or at the top of uh, every press conference, uh, she finds herself uh, in thickets and uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the, the name Scott McClellan, who was kind of the hapless George W. Bush press secretary, comes to mind uh, when I think of her. And it's 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 surprising, too, because um, and I, I'm sure Noah and, and John, you both had experience when she was an MSNBC pundit. I uh, I appeared alongside her on on a few programs and she was very capable of giving I mean, of giving the, the progressive line. Uh, on issues of the day. And yet something seems to have changed between her role as a media um, spokesperson 
and the White House press secretary. I think uh, Noah and I both like her. Like I, yeah, I do too. I always, very, I always liked charming, her personally. A really, yeah. really a, 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 a sweet person, friendly. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is not necessarily the case when you're a conservative in a liberal green sure. room. But no, she, I feel the same way. Yeah. She was very, you know, very personable, and and uh, and it, it gives me no pleasure to agree with you. I just think that uh, we need to look at this and say. The genius of Washington in 2022 is Jen Psaki, the former press secretary, who got the hell out of Dodge because she saw she saw that she was going to be that person in that on that podium uh, when the uh, when the S storm w- was coming down, and that it was time she had she had done as much as she could possibly do uh to temporize and uh you know what do whatever she had to do to say what was necessary to say and that whoever was going to follow her was going to be facing inflation the red wave right you know various other things and uh and so maybe maybe somebody else would be doing better john kirby would be doing better but it's just a hard hand to play that's exactly right cranes turned in some really maladroit performances uh, and I've written as much, um, but even the best actor can't make a bad script good. Uh, I'm well, going to give you this. Can. This is Chris Saliza. <laughs> Not even no, no actor can make a bad this bad a script good. This is you know this is uh, anyway. So uh, this is Chris Saliza. Look, Biden obviously either forgot Representative Walorski was dead, or didn't know about it in the first place. If those are your two options, lie, lie brazenly, lie boldly, stick to the lie. Make everybody repeat the lie. There's no other better option. Your two alternatives, if you're going to be even remotely honest, and that's what spin is, highlighting facts and omitting other facts. What you don't have anything to hang your hat on here. He's well, just what the demented. hell is the lie? What 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 lie can you tell? The lie that she told, which was, he's she's always on our mind. No, she's top. Wait, top wait, of mind. She's top of mind. He was she's always top on of my mind. mind. Look, you're, you're the other hand in which you're in which your your boss, uh, you know, your boss looks senile uh, and uh, any acknowledgement that your boss either looks senile or might be senile triggers a constitutional process can tri- in which he, uh, he is sort of effectively, if temporarily deposed. Uh, that is a that is a hand you don't want to play. I'm sorry. There is no there is th- the lie that they could have come up with was uh that he was distracted by putin and you know his mind was somewhere else i mean i don't honestly know that's why i say <laughs> right but yes yeah, some actors, joe manchin it, tried to do the other day well yeah putin blame so, but then when when does the discussion begin about how people in the administration and the white house need to do the right thing for the country if in fact we have a we have someone who is not fully up to the job it and stop, happen. stop, stop covering for for what. Well, if it's um, Trump, very well be con- a dangerous situation. If it's Trump, the conversation began on Morning Joe the right. week before he was inaugurated in 2017. Exactly. Was when they were going to pull the trigger on the 25th Amendment, and 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 continued on because he was crazy. So he was crazy. So he needed to be deposed. You know, like that before he was sworn in. Right. So but Trump, I think, influences a, this this question on for Biden too, which is that if Trump announces for president, there's no way they're going to try to to remove Biden. There's no way because they, they I think have con- the Democrats have convinced themselves that Biden is the only hope 
of keeping the White House if Trump runs for president. And so you will just see these conversations go away and you'll see Biden even more sheltered um, in the two years uh, up to the election. Um, so it's it's more likely the conversation is more likely to happen if, for whatever reason, Trump doesn't run for president. But if he does, I, I, I think that you'll just see this kind of shunted aside and um, uh, people focus on the main target, which is uh, preventing Donald Trump's restoration. It is impossible if there are incidents uh, more uh, like this, if there are two more incidents like this, we are you know, we are we're heading into we're heading into the area in, for which the 25th Amendment was literally created, which is an in which is the Woodrow Wilson example. Right. The infirm president who cannot who is not in a cognitive position to make decisions and needs at the very least temporarily, which is what the 25th Amendment uh, allows for temporarily kind of suspended from office. Uh, until such time as he can resume his duties with full cognitive strength. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you're exactly right that that no one is going to want this and that in some ways he made a surreally brilliant decision to pick Kamala Harris, whom I don't really know, but I don't get a sense that anybody really thinks that she should be very few people unless you're sort of just in the you know, suck up camp, like thinks that she has shown the stuff to be president in Biden's absence, unfortunately. So I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a crazy situation. So let's go to Putin um, and uh, and this um, uh, strange uh, attack on the Nord Stream pipeline. You can actually see the footage of the explosion in the water. Um and I guess it's possible that sort of like the attack on the, you know, the the theory that the theater that supposedly was attacked by the Chechnyans that people now are, a lot of people think was actually done by Putin to allow the, you know, the attack on Chechnya, um, that Russia actually sabotaged its own pipeline. Um, I don't know what to say about that. Except, you know, yeah, when you're actually seriously considering the use of nuclear weapons, I guess blowing up your own pipeline isn't the most extreme thing that you could do. Yeah, that's right. It's a step up the escalatory ladder that uh, won't provoke a, a direct kinetic response, but communicates your willingness to go further. If this, a lot of people are like, why would Russia blow up its own pipelines? One of them's not even in use. The other one's partially in use, partially shut down. Russia's using it as leverage. Why would it do this? Well, uh, you know, why did why did does, did Russia engage in scorched earth policies in the retreat from from Paris, you know, or retreat from Europe, rather? Uh, it's <laughs> there's advantage in destroying your own infrastructure. And there's also advantage in communicating that to an adversary. There are other pipelines under the water. There are telecom cables under the water. Um, uh, planner NATO planners have been engaged in uh, in public uh, deliberations over what we would do in the event that we catch in the act, a Russian asset sabotaging critical Western infrastructure. Do you disable that unit? Um, you know, do you let it? Do you let it go and just uh, you know, navigate this as a diplomatic incident? I mean, this, these are live questions, uh, and this raises the stakes pretty significantly, especially coming on the heels of conscription and tomorrow's annexation ceremonies. Um, yeah, everybody has reason to be worried because this communicates a willingness to escalate directly with uh, NATO assets and NATO elements. 
Okay, so where does this leave us? Uh, this leaves us in an incredibly unstable situation on the one hand, and on the other hand, a flailing. It's obviously, it's really dangerous if Russia's flailing because they have nuclear weapons. And on the other hand, the uh, the flailing Russia is a Russia that is on the verge of a of a world historic humiliation and defeat. That's what all this is about. So he'll he will, I guess, claim the part of. I mean, you could actually look at the claimed annexation of these regions as a face saving way to say I've annexed them. Now we're leaving. Or something, you know. I mean, I, I don't quite, quite know what the quid pro quo is, and obviously, or or that's not the right term I'm using. I mean, I don't know what the what what follows on from this, but neither does he. And according to these conscription, the things we're reading about the conscription, like they're actually not conscripting anybody. I mean, they're 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 people are running away, and they're not where they're they're throwing they're they're taking them in a truck and dropping them in a field where they don't even have any equipment. The whole thing is a you know, is a is a catastrophe and exactly the sort of thing that could provoke mass protests. I mean, you can't snatch can't snatch people off the street, say you're a soldier, drive them somewhere and then drop them off. And if you could maybe in 1941, in 2022, you can't because every single one of those people is known is known to somebody else and somebody who knows them has a cell phone. So I don't know. I mean, it, so not, none of this uh, speaks speaks to me of face saving. You know, no. I, I think it, it's desperation, certainly. Um, but but I don't I don't this is not I don't think he knows that he's I don't think he knows his next move, perhaps. Um, but it, but I think he's I think he knows it's not he's not bowing out with a with a with a face saving gesture. I don't I don't see it. Well, I don't know. Face saving. I was using face saving in some weird way. Like, I no, neither do I. I mean, I think it's desperation. I just mean that. I just mean that in his own. It all depends on how crazy he is or what his. You know, what actually was as going of, on as here. of tomorrow. Yeah, quite a lot of Russian territory is being invaded by Ukraine. There's a ton of of American forces, not American forces, American assets operated by a hostile foreign power engaged in live fire uh, attacks on Russian territory. Um, that Vladimir Putin has broadcast what his response would be to that, uh, retailed it. We just don't necessarily believe it. There's a lot of, there's a big effort on the part of the commentariat here to sort of just close their eyes and pretend none of this is happening, particularly the, the new blame America first, right. Which leapt to the conclusion that this was a NATO operation. How else, how else could this have ever been pulled off? Which I don't know where they got that conclusion, save for the fact that they really, really, really don't want to contend with the prospect that Russia is a malign actor that has done incredibly stupid things, cut off its own nose, and is now chasing that by severing other parts of its body. Well, they're um, connecting it to to Biden's statement, um, uh, I think it was before the invasion, that if Putin were to go in, uh, he would ensure that that the Nord Stream 2 would, would not would not be flowing. I mean, he said it since he said it last week. Yeah. He said he said there will be no, you know, there the we will we will choke Russia's financial wellspring off. Right. Um, this it has long been all... American policy, though, yeah. that we do not want to cut off Russian gas exports to zero overnight and thrust uh, Central Europe into recession. Right. I mean, we 
it is preposterous to think that we would do this. I mean, you you only think this if you are of, you know, a deranged, blame America first conspiratorialist mindset raised on 1970s movies about how the Pentagon, you know, was running everything. I mean, it's not, it's an irrational idea. And I, I mean, what is most fascinating to me about you mentioned the sort of, you know, the blame America first, right. But the, this, the, the now almost complete congruence between the, uh, you know, NatCon right and the pro-Russian agents of influence in the West, uh, meaning Glenn Greenwald and Michael Tracy and others who are, I mean, they, if they're agents of influence, they're, they they may be unconscious or not or unpaid. Subconscious. But, you know, they called them subconscious multiplicators in the, in the Soviet days. Right. And, uh, and, you know, what happened this, what happened on Monday of this week? Anybody remember? Edward Snowden, who was their tool, their vassal, the person who supplied them with all of the material uh, that they, you know, uh, secret Americans, you know, America's trove of secrets, was granted citizenship by Russia. He is now a full-blown Russian citizen yeah. in the grand tradition of Kim Phil. Which means he can be conscripted. If I think only. He got, I think he I got mean, an he's exemption. A, he you may actually, get an actually, you know, was in the military. Yeah, Kim Philby. I excuse me, uh, Edward Snowden. Yeah. Uh, I mean, send him to know, the front. He was send him to the front, defend the fatherland. Yeah, he's a Russian uh, citizen, or the motherland, or whatever it is. I the Russians call it a fatherland, or do they call it Mother Russia? Whatever, who cares? All right. So, uh, but you know. I still think that the most interesting thing is this revolution in consciousness in uh, in Europe, where Germany, you know, having having intended to completely divest itself of any sources of energy that were not Russian oil by by dismantling and by by turning off their nuclear power plants is now a fully nuclearized country for the foreseeable future. Um so Greta Thunberg has lost, uh, uh, and you know, world and the, the world has gained. So I'm really, it's really sad for Greta Thunberg and the, the fact that an entire policy was being, you know, was being controlled by a 16 year old, you know, kid. Um, we're now 18, I think. I think she's <laughs> at college with my daughter, actually, which is also really weird. I mean, I'm curious about what Noah said with the, uh, the annexation. Uh, which you know, no one will recognize except except Russia and, and its uh, immediate allies. I mean, not I don't I doubt even China will go out of its way to say that the Donbass is now you know Russian territory. Um, and then you know Putin's kind of insinuations over the course of the war that the attacks on the territorial integrity of the of the homeland could be met with a nuclear response. Um, I mean, what 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 is the uh, the course of action, Noah? There, there. I mean, uh, to me, it's simply we need to do more of what we've been doing faster, and um, change the continue to change the conditions on the on the ground in Ukraine's favor. But is there is there what's the alternative? Other, I know what the you know the aforementioned blame America first alternative is somehow for Biden to force Putin 
and Zelensky to the peace table, which just is not, not going to happen. Neither one wants to go there. Um, so is there another another course of action that I'm missing? I don't see so. No, I, we're pretty locked in. We're just uh, we're doubling the amount of HIMARS, these uh, guided multiple launch rocket systems that are going to Ukraine and should be there within the next couple of days. Um, and they've been spectacularly successful at yep. executing attacks on genuine Russian territory. Now, Ukraine has not claimed this, but Belgorod, which is a staging area inside Russia, has been uh, attacked several times. Crimea, which is annexed Russian territory, unrecognized, nevertheless, attacked by Ukrainian forces inside and uh, and from Ukrainian territory. Uh, annexation and Russian territory, these borders don't really necessarily matter to them. The, you know, the Biden White House has been negotiating with itself over how to send ordinance now that Ukrainian forces have uh, surged to the border near Kharkiv and they have these long-range weapon systems and we don't want them to use them on Russian territory, so they're hemming and hawing. Ukrainians are engaged in a war for their own survival, literally, not just the nation state. Their lives are at risk. Their children are being shipped off into Russia. I mean, and, I mean and that's the ultimate, right? I mean, the ultimate thing here is that you know there is this classic theory about war, right? The war results from um, all wars result from uh, misaligned understandings of uh, you know uh, of the actors who who conduct them. That that uh, that, and in this case, um, Putin's miscalculation which again is like is a world historic miscalculation was that these 44 million people had neither the means the motive nor the opportunity nor the ability to withstand his the assertion of his will over their their country and this is actually an extremely bizarre uh thing to have thought if right it's like establishing it. a dmz in korea when you're pushing up against the Yalu. I yeah, mean, there's, the, there's trying to establish a political end to a, a war that has no military end, and you're losing the military end. The, the the China issue, I think, is going to become more and more interesting here, right? Because at what point does Beijing say, well, I don't, I don't need to be aligned with this loser? And but they certainly don't need a, 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 a greater uh, con- conflagration if, if, if Putin uh, decides to go nuclear. I don't know what kind of influence uh, uh, Xi may have here, though. Well, people haven't really it, seen Xi Jinping for a while uh, ahead of the uh, party sure. Congress, so he might be dealing with his own yeah. um, problems. I, I you know it's clear that both China, well, I mean, China has backed off its no limits partnership, which they declared, you know, uh, before the war uh, at the time of the Olympics. I mean, they have not supplied the weaponry uh, that I think Putin expected them to. Um, and they've, you know, they've helped in other ways, but they're they're not um, arming Russia to the degree that uh, many in the West thought they would. And 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 when Putin v- met with Xi recently, um, you know, he kind of seemed to have gotten a little talking to in private because in public he acknowledged the difficulties in the war. And then India, which you know always wants to be the non-aligned leader of the third world and neither, you know, West nor East. Um, it too, uh, Modi has been a little bit more critical of Putin. So he's losing at least the, um, if not allies, the silent partners. Uh, and he's leaning more heavily on um, on the crazy states, on North Korea and Iran. But that's a sign of weakness too. Um, the, but for me, and the reason I just asked that question, no, is to me, the end game just seems so uh 
amorphous at this point. Um, it only seems amorphous because we cannot accept what Russia is, I believe, almost inevitably going to have to do, which is lose. Right. I mean, I mean, by the way, that includes if the most unthinkable things happen, like the most unthinkable thing, meaning the use of nuclear weaponry. Russia, oh, yeah, that, yeah, I think it accelerates the loss in that case. Right, exactly. I mean, I, so I what, mean... what we're looking at is Russia has lost this war or is on the verge, whatever. Now, it can continue to fight it for 30 years, but it, but ha, but the war is lost, and we just can't see the way that it loses. And that's that's where... That's where we're all so scared. This is it's so natural impossible. to be scared. Uh, this is scary. So we're scared. Yeah, we're scared. Uh, yeah, we're terrified. We're absolutely terrified of the. No, we're scared, and we should be scared of nuclear threats. But we that's why we have to prosecute this war to the help prosecute this war to the point where we right. establish a battlefield equilibrium where you can begin to see a, a durable ceasefire emerge. That's we're so far away from anything that looks like that because the battlefield is so fluid. Um, but we can't just like we couldn't allow anybody to just detonate an atomic weapon, a nuclear weapon, and say, "Well, okay, you can get what you want because you went nuclear." We can't allow a state to engage in this kind of brazen, aggressive war of territorial expansion and reward it. It's not even rewarded. I mean, it can't, first of all, it can happen. And second of all, it's not going to happen. There is no, there is no world in which after the last seven months, Russia is taking Kiev. Right now, we should talk about the battlefield just briefly. Right now, Ukrainian forces are surrounding the city of Lyman, um, which is near Severodonetsk. Um, and just like Izium, where I thought there would be a big standoff, uh, there's a lot of Russian troops in that city, and they're about to be cut off. So we could face the prospect, which I thought would be the case, is a prolonged siege of Izium, uh, re resulting in either an attempt at a breakout, which would probably fail, or mass surrender. That didn't happen in Izium. It may happen in Lyman. I mean, what incentive does any individual Russian soldier have to fight aggressively the thing to do now is to run and hide like that is there is no i mean i we don't know what they know we don't know what they but i mean you know thinking that people on the battlefield don't understand their relative positions on the battlefield is something that is a colossal error that people have been making for thousands of years I mean, they know when they're marrow, whether they're winning or losing. They know when they're marrow, whether they're being pursued or they're the pursuer. That that they know without question. And that the idea is, okay, well, we're going to hold our ground. They're coming at us. We're going to hold our ground. Then what? Are we moving forward? Is there any world in which we're actually progressing? Or are we just standing here and shooting so that they don't shoot us? And the only place for us to go is backward, back in, into Russia. Like, we got nowhere to go got no forward there's not there's no plan and so just that psychology alone suggests that the russians aren't going to be able to prevail in 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 any of these struggles once the ukrainians press their advantage because what's in it for the russians on the battlefield to win except saving their own lives at that moment not you know not going at ukraine i mean it's one good way to one good way, if you push them back, then maybe they won't come at you. But if they're also raining stuff on you from above, and if they've got HIMARS aimed at you and all of that, 
I mean, God only knows. So, so the psychology I, I think has turned so decisively against Russia that again, we're looking at a, this is a lost, this was a mistake and it's a lost war. And now where we're at is not how are we, how are they going to strike a ceasefire? It's, what is going on inside Putin's head and in the Kremlin? And this is where the face-saving stuff starts. Because no, you've been talking about this from the beginning. Like we need, we need to provide him with a with a with a with an exit path. But there is no exit path except defeat. And defeat means de- de- I assume defeat at this point means that he's done. I half jokingly said that we should be open to the restoration of naval basing rights in Sevastopol when they retake the Crimean Peninsula. Um, that, cause that is the status quo for uh, 2013 and earlier. Um, yeah. But yeah, something along those lines is kind of what I genuinely do mean uh, because Ukraine can really win this war and the prospect of a, of a, a soft landing place for, for Russia is something we should contemplate, but they have to take it. We can give them all the off ramps they want. They're not in a position to take it. They don't want to take it. They need to experience battlefield losses to make that a palatable option. But there's by a the lot way, of danger in between that. But there's no yeah. we can't we can't force feed Russia an off ramp. Right. But if our if our if our guess is that Russia Russia detonated the pipeline itself, that Russia sabotaged its own pipeline, then which is one of the ways it gets the money that it needs to continue supporting war, um, then there is no possibility of a soft landing. They've already crossed, a, yeah, Putin has already crossed some kind of psychotic Rubicon in which in order to punish Germany, he is immiserating himself. That is... Right. So Schultz should send tanks, which he hasn't been doing. Right. That, that I mean... To me, this he, is right. because he's Mister Soft Landing. You just have landing. to send more stuff yeah. and send it faster, and, right. <laughs> and right. because but we don't want to get German, di- yeah, yeah, we don't want to get directly involved still. But that seems right. to this is my point. It seems to me that's where things are headed. Actually, we are we will become involved. I mean, if they nuke a nuke, if they if the Russians nuke a Ukrainian city, America cannot well, yeah. stand by. I mean, even it. if they detonate no, no, it over no. the the Arctic right. or something right. like that, we would we, have to. So respond. that means that America intervenes and the war ends because we will defeat the Russian army. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, we will. things no. get really no, we will. We will. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Russians can't defeat the Ukrainians. We're not even going to go after Russian army. I'm sorry. If we, if, if oh, we, might. we might actually use... strike if they launched a if they the, the asset that launched that weapon would yeah. be would be neutralized by NATO assets. That's that's an no. option on the table that a lot of people are talking about very seriously. No, it's not just that. Putin it will. Putin will be killed if he uses a nuclear weapon, in my view. He will not survive that. I wrote a piece on this for the for yeah. commentary.org. We're dusting off the old yes. nuclear war fighting playbooks from the Cold War. This is, this is really intellectually yeah. masturbatory exercise on my yeah. part, but I very much enjoy I it. I know. No, but I mean, we'll be hitting his dotches. We'll be hitting. We will. We will. We will destroy his dotches. We will. I mean, I doubt we'll level the Kremlin because it's a world historic building, and we don't no. do we don't do stuff like that. But I'm but we are we are moving blockade. we are pattern moving is into a new category. Yeah, and and if you really want to go back into 1970s psyops, it would be um, you know hardened assets that not hit the Kremlin directly, but maybe 
maybe hit under under Moscow, maybe bury under Moscow and yeah. detonate under Moscow. So you eliminate all these hardened bunkers and yeah, maybe hit some dachas in Sochi. Like, yeah, those those options should be on the table. Apparently, Joe Biden is surrounding himself with all these people who are very familiar with all this this stuff. So it's serious. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, you can't. It's just it's like why 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 did it happen? I don't even know that we I don't know that I would have known that that was going to happen. I'm not, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, the, the, this, this, and as I say, like I, I, the world changes if, if there is actually the deployment of a nuclear weapon, I mean, all bets, all bets about doctrine and fight and this and that it's like, uh, this is the thing that we're most afraid in the world. It, it wasn't even that Russia would use a nuke. It's that we would have proliferation and that Iran would use a nuke or, or the Saudis would use a nuke. It would develop nuclear weaponry and use a nuke against Iran. And therefore we needed an Iran deal to prevent Iran from Saudis as if for there to be an arms race, but that we, and then it actually creates an arms race. We're actually heading back in a world in which we cannot allow the, the power that runs Moscow to run roughshod over the world period. And if he uses an, and if a u- nuclear weapon is used, the possibility of anybody ever using a nuclear weapon ever again must be made very, very clear to everybody on the planet Earth, particularly, of course, Kim Jong-un. I mean, if Putin is not taken out and if Russia is not leveled in some fashion for the use of a nuclear weapon, then we have a thinkable use of a nuclear weapon. Can I just uh, end on a moment of levity? You know, <laughs> a levity. Earlier, we need it. We need it after this discussion. Uh, earlier, we were talking about our president and his um, deterioration. And uh, we were taught, then we were saying his brilliant move about selecting Vice President Harris. And I was this close to saying, well, you know, Vice President Harris's trip to the to East Asia has actually gone on pretty well, right? I was about, I was very close. I was on the precipice of saying that, you know, maybe she's been making strides in the right direction when I see now, uh, as as you talk about uh, this crisis that the West is approaching, that uh, at the DMZ today, uh, Vice President Harris said, and I quote, the United States shares a very important relationship, which is an alliance with the Republic of North Korea. Oh, <laughs> so, so we have that to look forward to. How how did Veep <laughs> how did Veep know? know? How did Armando Yanucci and Dave Mandel how did they know? Yes, we should call Armando coming. and say what's going to happen in the in Ukraine. I know what what you know. What horse are you picking in the right. fourth at Hialeah? That's exactly. what I want to know. Like, yeah. this yeah. is just surreal. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, Selena Meyer, you know, is she lives? In, she lives. <laughs> She lives. She lives. (laughs) I just want to thank Aaron Judge, by the way, for hitting the 61st home run because I was, it's been so anxiety provoking. Yeah, I know. For the (laughs) last eight or nine. I mean, it's just been, and so the the relief, and I, you know, I I actually thought yesterday before it happened, I'm not going to watch because maybe the fact that I'm watching is jinxing him (laughs) and I didn't watch. And then I saw our friend Robert George on Twitter three seconds before, after, like three seconds when I clicked in, said, "All rise, sixty-one." And then I immediately turned on the TV and saw the replays. But, but I mean, at least that's over with. I, I guess it's not because now no, he's got a few 62. more games. I know he's got six yeah. more games. I know. Yeah. I know. 
Anyway, thank you, Aaron Judge. Thank you, Matt Cottonetti, for thank your you. uh, wisdom and seichel and all that. And we will be back tomorrow for Abe and Noah and the absent Christina and John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.